Amen. Well, how do I know he's there? Are you saved? Are you born again? Is Jesus Lord of your life? Then he's in you. And where you go, he goes. (laughs) Amen. Now, that's good news because he's always right there to help you. Amen. So he walks right through the midst of the church. He walks down the gut of the church. He is the man in the middle. He is the head of the church. And he has the the right to check it all out and see what's going on in his church. Isn't that right? So he has firsthand information, and he's able to say everything that he says because he knows it firsthand. And he says here to the church of Ephesus, I am the one that has the seven stars in my hand, and I walk through the midst of the seven lampstands. And we know the stars are the ministry and the lampstands are the church. Amen? And it's seven. So it's the number of fullness again. He's talking about, I hold the ministries in my hand, and I'm walking through the churches, and it's perfection. It covers all of them. Amen? And he says... I hold them, I'm the one who holds them in my right hand, which means nobody can pry them out. So therefore, because it's in his right hand, the hand of authority, then that means he's taken total responsibility and accountability and has a masterful grip. Amen. And what does that mean? Well, that means that you don't have to try to make people happy because you're afraid they're going to leave the church. Why? Because they don't hold you. You do not have to be afraid of not helping other people as though their good remarks are going to hold you together. They don't hold you. You don't have to be a man pleaser because man don't hold you. God holds you. And God is the one that you please. Amen. Are you with me? He said, I hold so you don't need to bow. Because I hold, you don't need to bow. Glory to God. Amen. So, since we don't need to bow, we can do exactly what he's given us to do. Because he holds us in his hand. Ephesus, we know, was the protector of doctrinal purity. Isn't that right? And the temptation to the church of Ephesus was to compromise doctrinal purity to please others and to quiet the critics. Same pressures that comes on the church today. Just sugarcoat it. Just don't say what it really is. Use these words instead. These are nicer words. Because they want you to be quiet and that's why they criticize. Do you know why they criticize? Because they can't do the thing you do. That's why. That's why. The critics are always like that. The critics are the no-do-nothing people. They are. They're the do-nothing people. The critics are the do-nothing people. Everybody that criticizes does nothing about what they're being critical about. They just criticize. Hello. Hello. So the temptation to them was to compromise their doctrine, compromise it, because that'll make so-and-so. Don't bring it up. That's going to bother so-and-so. Oh, let's not talk about that around the table. They might not like that. 
compromise. Well, what if it comes up? Now, I'm not saying you have to bring it up and get in somebody's face, but what if it comes up? Are you going to be quiet? Why would you compromise your doctrine to please other people and quiet the critics? They're not criticizing you. They are criticizing the doctrine of the word of God. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? But the living one is right there with you to say, I hold you in my hand. I'm holding you tight and don't worry about being a man pleaser. No need to compromise to those that promise that they can keep you. Or you need to keep them in the church because they'll keep the doors open. They'll pay the bills. They, whatever they say that they're going to do. You understand? They say they'll respect you. They say they'll talk kindly about you. Son, since we started the church back in 1990, we have had so much talk against us in this community. So much. And still goes on. We're still a cult. I don't know if you know that. You're part of a cult. Did you know that? Yeah. Still goes on. And the doors are still open. Because God is the one that holds us. Amen. So what the Lord is telling us here is that it's not our job to control others. Neither is it our place to compromise. He has a hold on the ministry of the word. And the, this church in Ephesus was commended for their perseverance. They did not grow weary in the face of criticism. Because there's only one that can hold you. And that's important to know. You have to know that about Jesus. Amen. 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 Verses 8 through 10, or 8 and 10, rather, 8 and 10. And to the angel, or to the pastor of the church in Smyrna, right, the first and the last, who was dead and has come to life, says this, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested, and you will have tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. Smyrna was the persecuted church, okay? Ephesus was the protected church. Smyrna was the persecuted church. And Jesus says to the persecuted church, I am the first and the last. I was dead, but I have come to life. I am the beginning and I am the ending and I am everything in between. Isn't that right? I was dead. And that, that phrase was dead means I was momentarily stepped into death. I came to be for a few moments dead. I had a brief interruption of life. But it's also the promise of the resurrection. Yeah. That as he has come to life, so we come to life also. I, as I came to be dead, I have also come to be alive. For a moment I was dead, but forever I am alive. Amen. The same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead will quicken your mortal body and you would be raised from the dead also. Amen. So he's telling the church of Smyrna here that his promises carry us all the way through the doorway of death. 
the doorway of death is not. It's the la- what is the doorway of death? The last enemy you get to kick in the face. That's what death is. The last enemy you get to kick in the face when you walk right over him. And he can't touch you. He'll cuss you. He'll scream at you. He'll growl at you. You'll kick him in the face and just keep on walking. And it'll be the last enemy to put underfoot. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Death is not the end for us, just like it was not the end for Jesus. And that's what Jesus is saying. Be faithful till death. As you came to life, I will give you the crown of life also. It is the peace and it is a promise for the persecuted. That is great peace for the persecuted church. And it's a great promise. Jesus says he is, therefore we can be assured that we will be also. As he is, so are we. Isn't that right? So therefore he says in the beginning of verse 10, do not fear. Do not fear. Even in the face of great tribulation, crushing, pressing, squeezing situations. In the last days, pressure, crushing, squeezing times will come. But do not fear. Do not fear. Glory to God. Hallelujah. The God of the persecuted church is right there with us. Hallelujah. They were commended because they did not allow tribulation and pressure to turn them away from faithfulness to him. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Now, are you going to wait until you face the pressure of persecution and death? To start practicing being faithful. Or will you start over where the Ephesus church was. And hold on to the doctrines of God. In the face of anybody that wants to contradict it. If you cannot stand the pressures of the fear of man. How would you ever stand the pressures of persecution? It all builds. Everything builds. Everything outward was stolen from these believers in Smyrna. They were not allowed to work. They were not allowed to go buy food. They were not allowed to go anyplace. They had to stay within their homes. They were not allowed out anyplace, and they couldn't partake of anything. Everything was shut down on them. They were the original lock-ins. Everything was taken from them outwardly, but they had everything inwardly. They couldn't take out of them what they had and who they were. Amen. And they were commended for keeping that life inwardly. That even though there was great persecution, even though you're under squeezing, pressing situations, you haven't let go of what was on the inside. Be faithful until death. They've abused you. They slandered you. You know what they called them? They called them the off-scouring of the earth. And they deserve to be nothing but rubbed out. Don't look back and go, boy, that must be rough. You better look at tomorrow. You better look at tomorrow. And get this stuff in your heart. Because they're after you. I'm just telling you that now. The devil is after you. Now, we're not going to face tribulation times because tribulation times is the wrath of God that comes on the earth. And we're not going to deal with that. The devil don't like you. 
And the devil wants his time on this earth. Amen. Amen. But they were commended for their faithfulness. Who said that? The first and the last. The first and the last. I was dead, but now I'm alive forevermore. Amen. Amen, amen. Verses 12 and 13. He says, And to the pastor of the church in Pergamum write, The one who has the sharp two-edged sword says this, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. Pergamum was the compromised church. And Jesus shows himself as the one with the sharp two-edged sword. Now, the governor, and you probably have seen this maybe in movies or something, but when there was in the Colosseums and they had the, the games in the Colosseums or uh, the, the battles in the Colosseum, and somebody had a sword over somebody else, and before they could kill them, they'd look to the governor, and the governor would either raise or lower the sword. If he raised the sword, it means let him live. If he lowered the sword, it means cut his head off. So the governor was, called, was said to have the right of the sword. Okay? So therefore, they were always under constant threat and constant fear. But Jesus has the sword, the one with the sharp two edges. And it is the sharpest sword of them all. The sword of his mouth is the one in which we have to deal with. He says to them, you think you're evading the right of the sword by compromise? Think again. Because Jesus says now in verse 16, if we run over to verse 16, he says, therefore repent or else I'm coming to you quickly and I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth. I will war. This is a war you can't win. In Pergamum, there was so much idolatry going on. There was so much pagan worship going on, so many temples, coliseums. Every place you went, everything you were involved in, it had the temple of Zeus was there, and it, it was just lined down the whole area, all the street, and, and the whole area was just filled with temples. And that's why he says you dwell where Satan's throne is. And Satan's throne, I think if you, I believe if you looked at the temple of Zeus, it looked like a throne. And of course, with all that pagan living going on, you know there's a lot of immorality going on. Jesus hates immorality. And Jesus hates compromise. Amen. The revelation of Jesus and who he is. He holds in his hand. He lives forever and he hates compromise and immorality. Verse 13. Uh, where, was that? where were we at? 16. Go back to 13. I know where you dwell, where Satan's. Yeah, where Satan's throne is. You hold fast my name. 
They grasped onto his name, even with the persecution and the pressure. What was the persecution and the pressure for? To renounce Christ and to worship the emperor. Because it was believed that the, the God of Roma was within the Roman uh, emperor. Because Rome was a very inclusive. The Roman Empire was very inclusive. They included all religions, all people, everybody, anybody. Of course, Rome could just figure, come on in and we'll just control you all. So since there were so many religions, Rome felt like they needed to have their own religion. So they declared that the spirit of Roma lived in whoever the Roman emperor was at the time. And you had to bow and worship the emperor. And the Christians wouldn't do that. The ones that didn't compromise, they wouldn't do that. And they says to them, you've held fast to my name and you would not renounce me and worship the emperor, even at the face, even in the face of the right of the sword. Amen. Even in the face. Now, listen, we're beyond the Judaizers here. We're talking about the Roman Empire, so now we're talking about political persecution. When political persecution started, that's when Christians died. They didn't die much under religious persecution, but once political persecution got in there, they were dying quick. Who don't vote? Anybody not vote? You better vote. You better vote right, too. Political persecution. But even in the face of that, they still held fast. You did not deny my name. Jesus knew of their faithfulness to him and their life of faith. How did he know it? Because he walks down the gut of the church. No amount of satanic oppression can destroy genuine saving faith as some of these believers possessed. They didn't all possess it, but some of them did, and they were not going to let go. They were commended for holding tightly to Jesus' name despite the tremendous obstacles, the persecutions, and death, even at Satan's throne. Do not fear the fierce attacks of the enemy, for there is one that we have to do with. And his sword is for the enemy, his sword is for the world. So don't be a friend of the world system and don't be holding to the world or the world's ways. Because you may wound up getting cut. Verses 18 and 19. Now, you know, this might sound a little rough, but I'm telling you, Jesus is for you. He is for you. Everything that we see that he is, he's there for you. Verse 18 and 19, and to the pastor of the church in Thyatira write, the son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet are like burnished bronze says this, I know your deeds and your love and faith and service and perseverance and that your deeds of late are greater than at first. Now Thyatira was the immoral church. They allowed Jezebel to get in the pulpit and teach all kinds of immorality. But Jesus shows himself as the son of God with eyes like a flame of fire and feet like burnished bronze. 
Now, in some of the Gospels, Jesus was called the Son of Man. In fact, even in chapter 1 of Revelation, John calls him the Son. I saw one, the, the appearance of the Son of Man. But Jesus, when he talks about himself, he reveals himself as the divine one, the Son of God, the one with total authority to deal with sin in the church. And he also shows that we, like him, are not children of a demon God. He's the son of the Most High God, and so are we children of the Most High God. We're not children of a demon God. We're not children of a little God. It's the Most High God. And there is none like him, and his name is Jesus. It ain't Buddha. It ain't Mohammed. And it ain't any of those thousands of Indian gods either. And he has eyes of fire, a blazing anger against sin in the church. He does not like sin in the church. He died so we could be free yeah. from sin. He paid that price. When we accepted Jesus as Lord of our Savior, we said, I am done with that life of sin. And that includes compromise. Jesus didn't compromise. I'll go, I'll, you know, I'll give myself to half an hour on the cross. Well, you know, I intended to go, but things just didn't work out. So, I mean, that's good. I had good intentions. And he gave it all. He gave his all. And he doesn't expect any more from us except our all. like people say but that's all I can do he didn't ask for any more he has a blazing anger against sin in the church he has a penetrating gaze that strips away all flesh and all disguises and sees right into the person's heart in other words we don't fool him we can fool us you know you could fool some of the people some of the time and you could feel fool all of the people all of the time, but you ain't never going to fool Jesus. Right. <laughs> he sees right into the heart. Isn't that right? Yeah. In other words, when he deals with stuff, he goes to the heart of the matter. He doesn't deal with the superficial stuff, right to the heart of the matter. We cannot fool him with our appearances. And he also has feet not of bronze, but of burnished bronze, which means their feet, if it, bronze is always a symbol of judgment. So if the feet were bronzed, that means judgment. But burnished means they're burning and getting to the place of bronze, but they're not there yet, which means judgment is getting close. And he's giving you a chance to change and deal with stuff before it comes. Amen. But he sees things and wants us to judge our own compromises. He tells them that their deeds of love, faith, service, and perseverance continue to increase. So they were commended not only for these qualities that they possessed, but they were commended because in the latter days they were increasing in these qualities and not lagging behind. They did not get more complacent. They got more fervent. Amen. They started strong, continued even stronger. And the eyes of fire can see that. 
Amen. Amen. Chapter 3, verse 1. And to the pastor of the church in Sardis, write, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Sardis was the counterfeit church. Jesus says he has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. We know the stars of the ministry. And seven always represents fullness. So when he's talking about the seven spirits of God, it doesn't mean there's seven of them. He's talking about the fullness of the spirit. There are seven characteristics of the Holy Spirit, whether it be in the Old Testament or the New Testament. In the Old Testament, he's called the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of wisdom, the Spirit of understanding, the Spirit of counsel, the Spirit of strength, the Spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord, all seven. In the New Testament, he's called the Counselor, the Comforter, the Strengthener, the Standby, the Helper, the Intercessor, and the Advocate, seven. Seven qualities of the Spirit in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And Jesus has possession of all functions, whether it be through the Old Testament or the New Testament, Jesus has it all. Amen. Why? Because the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is the Spirit of the Lord. Isn't that right? So he has possession of all the functions of Holy Spirit ministry in the church. You have to understand how things get directed out of heaven. Just like in creation, the Father had an intent and a thought. And the Word of God spoke it out. And the Spirit of God went and did it. And it was the operation of the, of the Godhead in all of creation. And that's how everything works. And God has an intent for the church. And the, whole, and, and the Lord has uh, a word that he speaks to the church. And the Holy Spirit then works that word. The, the Lord spoke out and gave gifts unto men. And then the Holy Spirit works those gifts because the Lord spoke them. Are you with me? So whether he says, I've given you a gift as a pastor, I've given you a gift as an evangelist, I've given you a gift in outreach, I've given you a gift in reconciliation, I've given you a gift in, in helps ministry, I've given you a gift in being a parent, I've given you a, oh, parenting is so important and you want to be here Christmas Eve, you know, and, you know, whatever that gifting is for you. The Lord's given that to you. He's given you a position of service on this earth. And because the Lord spoke that into your life, the Holy Spirit now works it. Just like in creation. Hallelujah. So Jesus has the fullness of the Spirit. He has the glory, the control, and the authority. And he don't only have it for us. Oh, praise God. You know, you, know, you know how we are. Oh, praise God. I have the authority. I've got the glory of God. Oh, hallelujah. God's given me the authority. He's given me the fullness of the spirit. You know, and God's given all of that not only for you, but he has it to deal with you. That same thing that he has given to you, he has it. And he has it in order to deal with us. 
because he is the head of the church. You can only get the fullness of life from Jesus. He's the one that has it. And aside from him, there is no fullness of life. You can breathe and you can exist and you can eat and you can drink, but the fullness of life is only found in Jesus. He is genuine. Don't run with the counterfeit like Sardis. Don't run with the counterfeit flesh that wants to think it can do anything that God can do. You want to get into the fullness. God can do it. Your flesh will do it. But it's through the strength, the power, and the direction, and the influence of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Verses 7 and 8. And to the pastor of the church in Philadelphia write, he who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this, I know your deeds. Behold, I've put before you an open door, which no one can shut, because you have a little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name. Philadelphia was the obedient church. Jesus appears to them as the one who is holy and true, the one that has the key of David. Keys open doors and keys lock doors. He says, I open and no one can shut it, and I shut it and no one can open it. He is the holy one. He is sanctified, consecrated, and set apart. He separates himself from any other one that is called a God and separated for the purposes of the Most High God. So therefore, that's the obedient church would be the same. That we would have separated from anything else that would be considered a God. Anything. I don't mean some little dumb little fat little idol. I'm talking about anything that's considered a God. It could be money. Could be anything. Separated from anything else that's called a God. And separated to the purposes of of the Most High God. My life is separated to the purposes of God. And he says here that he was the, can we go back to seven for a minute? He says here that he was the one who is true. Well, he can't lie. He's real. He's genuine. It's impossible for God to lie. Everything he says it happens because he's just truth, Right? And he is true. So that means he's not a fraud. He's not fake. And he comes against the temptations of speculations. Because in Philadelphia, there were so many earthquakes and tremors that people were always afraid that there was going to be another earthquake. And they were so fearful. And a lot of people were leaving Philadelphia. So they're speculating that there's going to be problems. So therefore, we better leave. But he didn't want them to leave. They were in a very strategic position. He says, I have the key of David, which is a symbol of authority. And it points to the worldwide dominion of the Lord Jesus Christ. I have a key to open and, a, and the key that shuts. No one, absolutely no one, 
can do otherwise. If I open it, it can't be shut. If I shut it, it cannot be opened. I have the absolute authority. Which is good because if Jesus opens the door, the devil can't shut it and vice versa. If Jesus shuts the door, the devil can't open it. This is why, and we've said this for years. I mean, I, I remember saying this back in the 90s, early 90s. Before you do anything, you better know if it's God or not. Because I guarantee you there's going to be problems. And if a problem comes up, is that because God don't want you to go in that direction? Or does the problem go up, come up because the devil's trying to stop you from going in that direction? But if you don't know God before you even start down that road, you will not know how to deal with the problems. And the only way you'll deal with it is in the strength of your own flesh. Well, bless God, I'm doing this. That's the strength of your flesh. I knew a guy that he wanted to build a church. I don't know if he said he believed God wanted him to build a church up on top of the mountain or whatever the deal was. Uh, I, I don't remember. But I remember his attitude was it was so hard, so many problems. And he was like, I'm going to if I have to blow up this mountain myself, I'm going to get that church built up there. You can do a lot with self-will. It's amazing. It's amazing how self-will is because how strong it is when you just look at people at the doorway of death and refuse to die. And it's all because of that will that won't let go. It's the strength of self-will. It's very strong. But you take that self-will. I mean, think about Moses' self-will. He was going to kill all of Egypt by himself. And after he killed the first Egyptian, he went, oh, what did I do? And he ran off into the wilderness to hide. Uh, you know, Ten Commandments, they had Pharaoh send him out. Into, no, no, he ran off. He's hiding, you know. So, uh, and that was all based on self-will. So, it's okay to have a strong will, but you get that will lined up with God. Get it out of the flesh and get it lined up with God. And you'll see things happen. There won't be a devil able to stop you. If you're going through a door you know God opened up for you and the devil's trying to stop you, you knock that sucker out of the way. And this is why people always say things. They, and they've said this, they've asked me this for years. Well, I don't know if the devil's trying to stop me or, or if this is really God because you didn't know before you started. Because you live out here instead of in here. You're not directed by, the, you're supposed to be directed by the Spirit of God in here, not by the way, oh, look, you know, I, I was in a pastor's meeting one time, and we had just finished a, uh, uh, what was the guy's name, Moody somebody, came and did an evangelistic crusade. You remember that? I, f I forget his name. But, you know, the pastors got together, huh? Moody, yeah. So the pastors got together, I was a little moody at the meeting, but the pastors got together, and they, you know, the, they liked the way the meetings went and all this stuff. And after the meetings was all over, one of the pastors stood up and said, this went so well, maybe this is God telling us we should continue. I'm like, I need another Pepsi. <laughs> I'm going back to the buffet, <laughs> you know. What are you talking about? Maybe this is God telling us. That'd be the first one to run away once you get a problem. Exactly. 
Nothing ever came of it. I did not offer any anything. So it just kind of, you know, fell to the wayside. That's not Jesus opening a door, okay? He opens it, nobody can shut it. And let me just say this to you. If he opens a door, he'll let you know. And if he shuts a door, he'll let you know. Paul, don't go to Asia. Go over to Macedonia. But our heart was set to go to Asia, but the Holy Spirit forbade us to go to Asia. Well, how did he forbid him to go to Asia? Did all the trains stop running? No, he spoke to him and said, don't go to Asia. Go to, you know, it reminds me of uh, one quick story. <laughs> but it's important. But it reminds me of this person that I knew that was they were in the hospital. And um, they were taking care of somebody's elderly father. And they had to go into the hospital for a procedure. Well, they didn't want to go because of taking care of this, the friend's father. But they had to go in. So they went into the hospital. They wanted to get out and all this stuff. They went through the procedure and everything. And they want to get out. I got to get out. I got to get out. And the doctor comes in and says, there's a little bit of a complication here. And we need to keep you for a few days. And she's like, no, I got to get out. I got to get out. I got to get out. I got so finally the complication gets taken care of a few days later she gets out of the hospital she goes back to to, the, to her friend's father to take care of him finds out that her, her friend's father's estranged daughter came to see him while she was in the hospital during the times of the complication and they made amends and everything was made well between them because she was out of the way but God couldn't tell her, don't go. Because she was all like, I got to go, I got to go, I got I to do this, I got to do So emotionally round, wound up in it, she couldn't hear from God if, if he showed up in the room, you know. And if she would have just said, okay, I'm not going to go back for a couple of days. I don't believe God wants me to go back. There'd have been no complications What's the moral to the story? Many times we create our own complications. When all we have to do is listen. So if God's going to open or shut a door, he'll let you know. You don't have to try to figure it out. Well, maybe this is God. Maybe this opened up because it's God. I suggest you go sit down and find out if that's God before you take another step. Philadelphia was the obedient church. If we just remain obedient, we can have power over all the obstacles. You won't stop the obstacles because you won't stop the devil from attacking you, but you'll have power over all the obstacles if you just remain obedient. And even with Philadelphia, he said, you have little power because they were little numbers. It was just a very tiny church. But they kept his word. They did not deny his name. And he commended them for their unity. And the holy and true said that. Amen.
Amen. Verses 14 and 15. To the pastor of the church in Laodicea write, the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. And we know that cold or hot means either refreshing or therapeutic. Laodicea was the materialistic church. Jesus reveals himself as first the amen. The amen meaning the firm, steady, truth-worthy, the guarantee, the God of the amen. So it is. So be it. Amen. He did not speak twisted truths or half-truths. He spoke with affirmation. He didn't come to Laodicea and go, you know, I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. Well, you know what I'm talking about. No, he laid it right out. None of this sneaking around stuff, sliding around this way, come out and say what you're going to say. That is one of the biggest problems with society today. They don't want to say what they need to say. They want to say it in all different ways and around this way and around that way. Just say it. You could say it. I mean, you could say the, the hardest thing you need to say, you could say it in a nice way. And if they don't get it, then you can really, what did you hear what I said? You know. <laughs> but give them a chance to get it when you're nice. I used to tell people that worked in my shop, you know, would you, can, can I, you know, could you take care of this job over here? And the guy would come to me and he'd go, you're the boss. Why don't you just tell me what to do? I said, because I'm giving you a chance to do it the right way just by my asking you. Now, if you don't want to do it, I will tell you. And if you still don't do it, I will tell you where the unemployment line is. Because <laughs> I had no problem with that. I've had to fire a few people. But I always give you a chance. I'm just going to ask you, can you do this? Jesus doesn't just say amen. He said he is the amen. So therefore, when he speaks, we must listen. He is the amen. He is the faithful, trustworthy, and true witness. And true witness is because of the things that are essential in order to testify. Number one, you've seen it with your own eyes. Number two, you're competent to relate it accurately clearly and totally honest none of this you know what i mean totally honest and number three willing to testify truthfully so he is the faithful and the true witness we need to listen to him. the witness is the one with the information or knowledge of something not secondhand firsthand i know i've been there i walk down the middle down the gut of the church i know exactly what's going on he has knowledge. Jesus always spoke honestly, accurately, truthfully. And he was willing, and he proved it, that he was willing to die for that truth. Amen. He's still speaking truth today. 
He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His word is truth. Isn't that right? He's also the beginning of all creation, the originator of all things. And that's the strongest guarantee of his faithfulness. Laodicea was so totally unfaithful to God. But the Bible says that even if we are faithless, he remains faithful. And therefore, he appeared to Laodicea as the faithful one. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus speaks straightforward. He does not mince words. The flesh may not always like that, but it's the only chance to change into an overcomer. Because in the condition they're in, they're losers. And he's trying to get them to turn into being overcomers. And the things he has to say to them are not easy. Sometimes the things he says to us are not easy. Sometimes the things you hear from the word of God is not easy to take. But it's your only chance to change into being an overcomer. Yeah. Amen. Amen. There were no condom con there were no commendations for the church of Laodicea. And that's sad. They were so materialistic, so complacent, and so compromised. They had absolutely no focus on Jesus, on his word, on the Holy Spirit, for direction for their life. They figured we are the rich, we are the wealthy, we have no need of anything, we have everything we need. Therefore, they did not focus on the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean that if you have riches and wealth and have all your needs taken care of doesn't mean that you stop focusing on Jesus right. you can have both yeah. and you ought to but what they did is they turned to their substance and that became their God they thought see and, and you see you hear this a lot they thought they had all the blessings of God based on the stuff that they had Oh, I have this. Oh, God's blessed me with this. Oh, God's brought this into my life. Oh, the, uh, God. and the biggest thing in, in all the blessings, of course, is free. It's the, it seems to be the biggest qualifier for the blessing. It's free. You know, we've as a church, we've had the hardest time with people that would work at church. And we would always tell them, we don't want it for free. And when I had my house and I had people work at the house, I'd tell them, I don't want it for free. I'm not looking for it for free. Tell me how much it is. I'm not looking for free. They're working. They deserve to get paid. Right. We can believe God for the money. It's not about free. Amen. So they thought they had all the blessings based on all the stuff that they had. And yet, they had nothing. They were miserable, naked, poor. Now, you compare that to the church of Smyrna that we looked at, the persecuted church. They lost everything out here, but totally blessed because of what they had in here. And Jesus commended them for what they had in here. But when it came to Laodicea, he he. He, he condemned them for everything they had out here. 
Because it's not about what's out here. It's all about what's in here. And what's in here should produce what's out here. But if what's out here came from someplace else other than what's in here, it's materialistic. And Jesus don't like it. Not happy with it. So, let me just nutshell. The seven sides of Jesus and the commendations for those who were walking uprightly. In every church, there were commendations and there were corrections. The commendations was for those that were walking uprightly, but then there were those that weren't. So when we say like, uh, when we say that Pergamum was the compromised church, it doesn't mean everybody was compromised, but there were those that were. And these are the ones Jesus dealt with. And these are the ones that Jesus deals with in all of these churches to correct so that they can become overcomers like those that were walking uprightly. So there are seven sides of Jesus and commendations of the churches for those that were walking uprightly. Number one, the church of Ephesus, he's the one with the seven stars and walks among the lampstands. He saw their hard work against the false, that they would judge and test the doctrine of others, and they would persevere in it and not back off from it. The church of Smyrna, he was the living one. Death could not hold him, and death cannot hold you. Therefore, you do not need to fear death. Do not allow, they did not allow tribulation and pressure to turn them away from faithfulness to him and suffer the second death because, beyond physical death because of denying Jesus and losing their salvation. Number three, in the church of Pergamum, he was the one with the sharp two-edged sword. They kept their life inward despite losing everything outward. Oh, that was Smyrna, I'm sorry. The sharp two-edged sword was against the compromise because of the governor that had the two-edged sword, but they, they were those that would not compromise, and they held to his name even in the midst of all persecution. And then in the church of Thyatira, he was the son of God with eyes of fire and feet like burnished bronze. And it says they held tight to his name among tremendous obstacles and persecutions and death, even though Antipas was killed among them. And Jesus scrutinized that church and found that they avoided judgment, those that were walking uprightly. Number five was the church of Sardis. He is the one with the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, which is a picture of fullness. He said to the church they were increasing in love, faith, service, and perseverance and not lagging behind, not yielding to a life of complacency, but living a life of fullness. And the ones that were walking uprightly were not counterfeit. Number six was the church of Philadelphia, where he said he is the holy and true. He has the key of David. He opens and shuts with finality. And he commended them for their unity. They kept the word and perseverance. They walked through the open door that the Lord provided for them in service. And then the church of Laodicea, he is the amen, the faithful, true witness, and the beginning of the creation of God. And there were no commendations for Laodicea. The different sides of Jesus, seeing the different sides of the church, and brings out to us and tells us the things that are pleasing to him. And he shows us the things that he don't like. Yeah. 
but change opens the door to great reward. And that's what we're going to look at last week, changes that was needed and the great rewards that was promised. Jesus desires that we learn from him. Didn't he say that? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. He wants us to learn from him and live. Thank you, Jesus. Live as an overcomer in this life. But not only ending in this life, but all the way into eternity, living as an overcomer with an overcomer's reward for all eternity. That's what he wants for every single one of us. Amen. He'll never leave us in a condition of conviction, correction, discipline. He'll always show us the way out. And all we have to do is hear him and follow his leading. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Bless you, Lord. We bless you, Lord, and we honor you, Lord. You are Lord of hosts. You are the eternal God. You are the living one, the holy one. Oh, I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you walk among the lampstands, that you do walk among the church, that you are scrutinizing and watching and therefore giving to us the things we need to correct in our lives so that we can get things straight and step over into the realm of being the overcomer. For the more areas that we overcome in life, the more rewards we are being stored up for us for all eternity. Lord, I just thank you. Thank you that you're just, that you're righteous, that your judgments are just. And Lord, I thank you so much that you are faithful and true witness, that we can listen and hear you and know that because of your love for us, that we can do what's necessary to bring about the changes. We thank you for it, Lord, and we bless you and praise you for that in Jesus' name. Now, Lord, as we come before you this evening with our giving, we thank you for this opportunity to sow our seed, Father, that we sow it with reverence. We sow it with uh, an attitude of gratitude towards you. And you said that the blessing resides upon those that fear the Lord, the small together with the great, that you are not partial to our position in life as far as material things, as far as status, as far as social standing, but you're only partial to our reverence for you and our faith. And Father, I thank you for that, that by faith and reverence we come and sow our seed to you in blessing and honor to you. We thank you, Lord. Thank you for the opportunity for harvest to come back, that we can then come and approach you again with our giving to honor you and bless you again. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. Glory to God. Glory to God. God is good. Hallelujah. Thanks for joining us on live stream and podcast tonight. We're glad that you could be here with us. And it's always an honor to be able to share the word of God, whether it's here, whether it's there, wherever you might be. We are connected, and the Spirit of God moves through the anointing that's on His Word, and wherever you may be, you can receive from the Lord. If you'd like to sow seed into the ministry, you can go to our website, newlifefamilyworship.net, and click on the giving link. I thank you in advance for the seed that you sow, and if there's anything at all that we can have a standard prayer with you about, please let us know. It is always an honor to stand with our partners and believe God with you for your needs to be met. Amen.